Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator. Season 1, Episode 6, The Bowtie Man, Part 2. in part one he had been stalked and attacked by the mysterious bowtie man a minion of the insect god Mahino the evil Mahino was about to emerge from his 1000 year hibernation and had nefarious plans that involved Harry's bloodline and possibly Harry's very soul now Along with his trusty new companion, Dr. Lindsay Govea, Harry was about to breach the hidden sanctuary of the cult of Mahino. Will Harry escape with his fat ass intact? Stay tuned for part two of The Bowtie Man. Lindsay and I arrived at the entrance to Cockroach Cove around 8 a.m. in separate cars and parked at the Halona Bloho parking lot. The cove was located down a small but challenging cliff, especially if you were carrying extra baggage, you know, like my fat ass. Lindsay had no problems navigating down the cliff, but I had to slowly drag my okole down as it kept telling me aole or no all the way down. Luckily, I made it down without breaking my neck while Lindsay waited impatiently at the bottom. Hey, sorry sister, I'm still recovering from near-death encounter or else I would have been right behind you. We hauled our gear-filled backpacks to the cave entrance. Fortunately, there were no other people at the cove yet. This place will be swarming with tourists in an hour or so. Lindsay brought her science equipment, chemicals, and vials and stuff. I brought my usual assortment of PI gear, including a new toy, a mini propane torch, which I named Johnny in honor of Johnny Storm, the human torch. It was made for burning weeds in your yard, but come on, it would be a lot more fun to use it as a flamethrower. The lava tube cave interior was as dark inside as it was bright outside. It was as if something sucked all the light out of the air once you crossed the threshold. We stopped before the entrance. Lindsay took out her flashlight and aimed it inside the cave, but the light only pierced a few feet of darkness, which left the rest of the cave in murky blackness. What's the deal? It's like the laws of physics don't work down here. Yeah, that happens a lot in my cases. Here, let's try something more primitive. I pulled Johnny out and turned on the gas, lit the pilot light, and a small flame appeared out of the nozzle. Prepare to be thunderstruck. I pressed the trigger and waited. I expected a wall of flame to shoot out of the torch. I could almost hear the opening drums and vocals to ACDC's thunderstruck in my head as I executed a slow motion pan and a wind from out of nowhere blew my beautiful long 80s metal hair around me while the flame lit up the whole interior of the cave. But in reality, a small spark of flame drizzled out of the nozzle 
And then the whole torch blew out. Fudge nuggets! I tried to reignite the pile of light, but it didn't take. Uh, gee, Harry, I hope you give that Amazon seller a very strongly worded negative review. You better believe it. I put the torch back into my backpack and brought out my flashlight and turned it on. It had the same effect as Lindsay's flashlight. It only lit a few feet ahead of us. We had no choice but to proceed inside the cave. We entered slowly as our eyes adjusted to the darkness. I inched forward with Lindsay following close behind. The passageway became narrower and narrower the further we reached. We arrived at a passage where we had to crawl single file. I was tempted to be a gentleman and let Lindsay go first, but if there was something up ahead in the darkness that bit her head off, well, I would not want to have to drag her body out, so I volunteered to go first. I managed to squeeze my fat ass through the narrowest part of the tunnel until the passage expanded again and we could both walk upright side by side. We continued slowly forward until a sliver of light showed up ahead. Hey, do you see that? Yes. I think we're almost at the other end of the lava tube. It curved under the highway to a clearing on the other side. Lindsay, turn off your flashlight and follow the light to the cave exit. Lindsay nodded and we both turned off our flashlights. We continued moving towards the exit and as we got closer... I noticed the light was flickering like a flame. That didn't make any sense. It should have been bright sunlight outside. But as we narrowed the distance, I was sure the light came from a fire. As we approached within 10 feet of the exit, I could just see the surrounding area outside the cave. It was completely dark except for the firelight. For some inexplicable reason, it was already night on the other side of the lava tube, and the light was from a bonfire lit just outside the opening. What the hell? How can it be night already? We've been in the cave for, what, 30 minutes, Max? Hey, Lindsay, time and space work differently when you're dealing with the supernatural. We could have been crawling for hours or days and not realized it. Or, more likely, we traveled through a dimensional portal where it is nighttime on the other side. Either way, it's easier to just accept it, or else you'll drive yourself Lolo. Or, in my case, even more Lolo. Lindsay still looked shaken, but she nodded. We inched forward slowly and reached the cave exit. I took a chance and peeked out while keeping myself hidden as much as possible. There was a clearing outside the cave with a burning campfire. More alarming, though. There was a stake about seven feet high stuck into the dirt at the edge of the campfire. Behind the stake stood about a dozen figures in black hooded robes lined up in a row. The figure in the middle held what looked like a wooden box. Ah, Harry, now what? I was about to answer with a definite, I don't freaking know, your guess is as good as mine, when a buzzing sound came from behind us, the direction we just came from. Lindsay stared at me with a look of growing dread. I froze as the buzzing grew louder and louder. A feeling of panic crawled down my spine and into my gut when I realized that this was the same sound the black flies made before they attacked me a few days ago. The buzzing grew and echoed inside the cave until it sounded like it was coming from inside my head. The 
swarm was almost upon us. We only had two choices. Get eaten alive by black flies from hell or face the unknown hooded figures outside. I decided to take our chances with the hoodies. Who knows, maybe they were only out for a nice moonlight picnic? Come on, Lindsay, let's get out of the cave. But we don't know what's out there. With no time left to think, I grabbed her hand and pulled her out into the moonlit clearing. The black-hooded cultists surrounded us immediately. They came out of the clearing and two of them grabbed us before we could react. I didn't notice at first, but each of them carried a short wooden club with a stone tied to the end. They brought us in front of the stake and shoved us to the ground. I attempted to stand up, but the cultist closest to me brought up his club, ready to hit me in the head if I didn't comply. Since I liked my head without a hole in it, I complied. Two of them stood guard over us while the rest went back to the lineup behind the stake. The leader who held the wooden box stood in front of the stake next to the fire. I quickly snuck a glance back to the cave exit, expecting to see a swarm of flying killer bugs emerging, but there was nothing and the buzzing sound was gone. The cultist standing over me turned my attention back to their leader with a quick kick to my back. I gave him my best stink eye, but I couldn't see if there was any reaction behind the hood. The leader chanted something that sounded vaguely Hawaiian, but I couldn't recognize any of the words. The chanting continued for some time, with hand gestures thrown in here and there for good measure. The rest of the cultists repeated certain words and phrases as part of a response to the leader. Then, the leader stopped chanting, and the clearing fell into silence except for the crackling of the campfire. I looked over at Lindsay and saw fear in her eyes, but I also saw resolve and grit. She gave me a weak but fierce smile. I knew I could count on her to act when needed. I nodded back to her in return. Then, abruptly, all the cultists removed their hoods at once. My jaw dropped when I saw that every single one of them looked exactly like the bowtie man who spewed poisonous bugs at me. It wasn't just one bowtie man, but a whole gaggle of them that followed me. Who or what the hell were they? My mind raced through several scenarios with each one more far-fetched. Were they some genetic experiment gone wrong? Alien clones like in that Body Snatcher movie? Before I could make sense of this, the leader turned to look at me with his dead white pupilless eyes and opened the box. A bright luminescent light emanated from it which revealed an object roughly the size and shape of a football. It was white, with ridges spaced unevenly over its surface. The ridges oozed a thick pus-like substance which moved and pulsated along with the light. The object was alive. A horrifying chill grew deep inside me from the back of my neck to the pit of my stomach as I remembered what Bob said yesterday, that the insect god Mahino was encased in a cocoon while he recovered from his wounds. I knew with sickening certainty that this was the cocoon and Mahino was about to be reborn. 
The chanting began again as the cocoon floated up out of the box and hung in the air, still pulsing and dripping a white pus-like substance. The cult leader dropped the box and all the cultists fell to their knees and held their heads down with their right arms held up in a gesture of supplication. The cocoon continued floating in the air and grew bigger and bigger. It started to radiate a low throbbing noise which shook the ground with a repeated subsonic boom that shook me to the pit of my gut. This was its heartbeat indicating it was slowly coming to life. I'm not ashamed to admit I might have unleashed my bowels into the unsuspecting night if not for the nightly Kegel exercises I practiced just for moments like this. While the cultists were completely entranced by the expanding cocoon, I realized this would be a good chance to escape. I looked over at Lindsay, but her attention was also focused on the growing mass as if she were hypnotized. I reached over and shook her with no response. Her eyes were white and pupilless like the cultists. I recoiled in horror as Lindsay put her head down, raised her right arm, and started chanting along with them. I was alone now and out of ideas. Well, you know the old infomercial catchphrase, but wait, there's more. Yeah, there was more. As the cocoon grew to around the size of a large dog, what can only be described as tentacles shot out from it and buried itself into the mouths of the cultists one by one. There were around eight to ten tentacles. I lost count at around five. The cultists screamed as well as a person could scream with a mouthful of calamari, but otherwise they didn't move from their positions. It's all my willpower to not disgorge the contents of my stomach at the sight of this, but I held it together and only dry heaved a few times. The tentacles were translucent. It sucked something out of the cultists, a yellowish substance which seemed to be both liquid and gaseous at the same time. I watched in revulsion as the cultists were drained one by one and fell into lifeless husks as the cocoon siphoned all the life force out of them. As they crumbled into dust, the tentacles snaked out to find the next willing victim. The cocoon was now the size of an elephant and close to bursting as it systematically drained each cultist. Its heartbeat was now a deafening roar which threatened to rip a hole in my sanity, not to mention my eardrums. The last cultist fell into dust. Lindsay and I were all that remained. I tried again to shake Lindsay out of her trance with no luck. One of the tentacles shot toward her. I had to act quickly if I wanted to stop the cocoon from draining her life force. The cultists left our backpacks on the ground. I rummaged into mine and brought out the mini flamethrower. Hoping against hope, I lit the nozzle and the pilot light came on. I had only seconds to spare before the tentacle reached Lindsay. I pressed the trigger and... I pressed it several more times in quick succession, and still nothing. Damn it, note to self. Next time, if there was a next time, buy the higher rated item instead of the cheapest one. 
The cocoon tentacle was just about to rip into her mouth. I pressed the trigger one last time when suddenly the flamethrower roared to life. A plume of flame shot out and hit the tentacle, which immediately caught on fire. It jerked away from Lindsay, but the pus-like substance that coated the tentacle must have been extremely flammable. It burned to a crisp, quicker than you could say, hum hum nuk hum hum nuk ah, you know, the Hawaii State Fish. The cocoon emitted an ear-piercing shriek of pain as the tentacle burned up and fell into dust. The spell was now broken. Lindsay woke up with a look of dazed confusion. Lindsay, get behind me! Another tentacle shot towards her. I fired flaming death at it and watched it burn up the same as the first one. Now, you'd think after two burnt tentacles, it would be smart enough to retreat or give up, but no. The cocoon shot all its tentacles at us all at the same time. I frantically sprayed fiery annihilation as quickly as possible at everything it threw at us until the clearing was a miasma of smoke and ashes which rained down on us as each tentacle burnt up to a crisp. As the smoke cleared, the cocoon no longer hovered in the air but lay on the ground covered in cinders. It no longer pulsated. It slowly shrunk in size and all its appendages hung limp and burnt. Its heartbeat slowed and softened. Where before it was a dull roar, now it was a soft blip. Lindsay, are you okay? Look at it. I think it's dying. She looked hesitant and kept her distance while I approached it with the flamethrower. Harry, be careful. Don't get too close. I don't trust it. Don't worry. I'm going to fry the rest of it like the colonel would. I was sure the cocoon was gravely injured. It was just a matter of finishing off, but I still took precautions and approached it slowly. I reached within ten feet of it when the blip, blip, blip of its softening heartbeat suddenly increased to a boom, boom, boom again, like a DJ just dropped the bass. A small wind picked up strength and blew through the clearing until it grew into a thunderous roar. I stopped, but still held the flamethrower firmly in front of me. Thanatosis. What? What you said, Lindsay? Halatosis? What's wrong with my breath? I can't hear you. I wonder if it was the kimchi I ate this morning for breakfast that gave me bad breath. Then I heard her yell louder over the increasing heartbeat. Harry, stop. Get back. It's a behavior called thanatosis. It's playing dead like insects do in nature. Get back. I barely had time to register what she said when something grabbed my legs and pulled me off balance. I fell on my back and hit my head hard on the ground. Stars floated through my vision. Through a blur of haze and pain, I saw something big, white, and ugly hover over me. As my vision cleared, I realized the cocoon had come back to life and was standing on eight fully working tentacles while it stood over me like a spider about to devour its prey. It was still as big as a small elephant. Its eight legs surrounded me while it oozed a thick, viscous fluid down on me that burned my skin as if it were dripping hot wax on me. I wanted to scream, but froze in horror as I looked up and saw something moving inside it. 
An ominous dark shape took form. It moved as if it floated inside the cocoon. Then, a sharp pointed claw-like appendage slit open the cocoon. Black pincers poked through the surface and tore open the membrane inch by inch until what emerged was worse than any nightmare I ever had as a child. It was as ugly as it was beautiful, like an H.R. Giger drawing come to life. It was as big as a VW Beetle. It had big, round, bulbous eyes. A green, luminous exoskeleton protected its body. Sheer, powerful wings protruded from its back. And legs with razor-sharp protuberances jutted out from its body. It opened its mouth, which exposed rows of dagger-like fangs that dripped venom. It then emitted a screeching cry of triumph, which threatened to shred any sanity I had left. It discarded the rest of the cocoon and glided down beside me. Now fully healed, the demigod Mahino was a vision of awe and dread. I remembered what Kahuna Bob told us yesterday, that Mahino still needed something from me in order to be fully whole again, and that's why he sent his cultists after me something having to do with my bloodline. I had a feeling I was about to find out what that was. Mahino screeched in insect speak again, this time at a lower volume, but it still sounded like nails on a chalkboard. I glanced over at Lindsay, who was huddled behind a small bush. She started to approach, but I shook my head for her to stay put. She found her backpack, which was left strewn on the ground by the cultists, and held it tightly to her chest. Mahino continued screeching and added some chittering noises for good measure. Uh, listen, your ugliness, I I don't speak bug. My past encounters with bugs usually start and end with me squashing them, so you're going to have to maybe have one of your minions tell me what you want. Oh, wait, you sucked all the life out of them. Well, don't know what to tell you then, your hideousness. Rule number 666 of the demonic encounters, yes, I just made that up, was to insult your enemy to get a sense of what you were dealing with, to find and exploit any weaknesses your opponent may have to keep it off balance. And also, because insults can be a fun distraction before you are eaten alive by a giant bug. Mahino screeched again, this time more forcefully and at a pitch that shot like an ice pick into my eardrums. I covered my ears, but the sound penetrated through me and into my consciousness until words formed in my mind. I don't know if Mahino was literally saying these exact words to me or if this was my interpretation, but it was clear what he was trying to communicate to me. Christus, child. Child, await your glory no more. Mahino, god of insects, will grant upon you the honor to raise me up to my throne once more, to rule and restore order to the peoples of the base realms. Your magnificent sacrifice will be immortalized in song for all eternity. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, buddy. Sacrifice as a word that's not in my vocabulary. I spoke out loud, but Mahino seemed to understand me. He raised himself over me menacingly and shouted into my mind. 
you are born to a duty many would choose to die for. To refuse is to dishonor your bloodline and all those who have served me for eons. Uh, buddy, I don't know how to break this to you, but the year is 2023 and some of us have learned not to drink the Kool-Aid. So yeah, that's going to be a hard no to being your human sacrifice there. I replied both by voice and in my head. Lindsay looked puzzled as she was only getting one side of the conversation. Yeah, bad news, Sonny. You ain't got a chance in the matter. I haven't waited 2,000 years to be stopped by a small, weak Cuban who still watched children's entertainment. Wait, what? His speech pattern was updated to modern English, and he knew I watched Beavis and Butthead? Damn it! He's like upgraded his OS to the 2023 version just by reading my mind. Get out of my head, you asshat! I was hoping it'd take him a while to translate that. I'm guessing it didn't because he then pinned me to the ground with his pincers and opened his mouth fully. All the better to eat me with. Yeah, asshat. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but blood has power amongst the most powerful magic in all creation, and especially your blood, which was infused with magic from the earliest days of your ancestors who worshipped me and practiced rituals which have grown stronger and culminated into your body over the ages. I need both your flesh and blood to replenish my human side. Otherwise, I will remain in this form and, well, While powerful, my influence will be much more limited if I'm scaring the crap out of everyone that I encounter. So, without further ado, bon appetit to me. Uh, buddy, I hope you understand what a dickhead is because you are the biggest dickhead I've ever met. I became desperate and threw random insults at him while I thought of a way out. I still had the flamethrower in my hands. It was my last hope, my only hope, and I didn't want to screw this up. I aimed it at Mahino's underbelly and pressed the trigger, expecting it to fizzle out like my luck had been lately. But lo and behold, the flamethrower roared to life and blasted high flaming death at his weakest point. Mahino fell back several feet as a torrent of flame and smoke engulfed him. I scrambled up onto my feet and continued spraying him with the flamethrower until all the fuel was exhausted. The smoke was so heavy, I could barely see a few feet in front of me, but powerful wind gusts continued blowing through the clearing and the smoke gradually cleared. I expected to see giant burnt bug guts on the ground, but I saw Mahino unharmed, unburnt, and unaffected by the flames. His exoskeleton was fireproof, it seemed. He then laughed inside my head. Yo, homie, that was a nice try. But you got no choice but to die. Yes, I'm fireproof, and douchefaced. That's the truth. Quit your stalling, cause I'ma come a-calling. Now just stay still, cause we're about to get killed. Oh my god, he was annoying before, but with his attempt at rapping, I might as well just let him eat me to shut him up. 
Mahino then crawled toward me. I was defenseless now and had nowhere to run. He reared over me and stood on his hind legs while he raised his front pincers with the intent to grab me and pull me into his maw. He opened his mouth and droplets of venom fell on me, burning me like acid. I held back a scream as I heard his laughter in my head again. I would normally scream like a girl under these circumstances, but I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. He picked me up with one of his razor-sharp claws, which tore my clothing and left a huge gash on my back. I held back a scream as he lifted me to his open mouth, revealing the daggers that passed for teeth. He was just about to bite my head off when a sound behind Mahino caught my attention. I glanced past him and saw movement. It was Lindsay who ran behind Mahino. What was she doing? She held her backpack in one hand and something else in the other hand. It looked like a bottle. She threw the bottle at Mahino's back. No, no, Lindsay, get out of here. I yelled at her to no avail. She kept pulling bottles out of her backpack and threw them at Mahino. The bottles broke open on his back and spilled a clear liquid on him. Was she trying to distract him? Obviously, a broken bottle would have no effect on him. Then smoke began to rise out of Mahino where the bottles broke open. He suddenly dropped me to the ground and I heard him screaming in my head. I held my hands to my ears. The screaming was more painful than anything he had done to me so far. My head was about to explode when Mahino let go of my mind and started screaming out loud. I backed away and saw Mahino writhing on his back. The smoke that poured out of him now oozed a reddish-black substance. His blood. Lindsay stood transfixed about ten feet behind where Mahino lay. I limped over to her. Lindsay, what did you throw at him? She looked at me with a mixture of fear and satisfaction. One of my research projects was for a more effective pesticide. We have a government contract to use chemicals that have not been approved by the FDA. Some of these chemicals would never be approved. I thought this would be a good research opportunity, so I brought some with me. She held the backpack close to her chest and patted it. A few more bottles were still left. Don't tell me you threw illegal bug spray at him? You magnificent bastard. I hugged her as we watched Mahino struggling to right himself. He bled profusely now from his back, belly, and mouth. He tried to get into my mind again, but he was too weak, and I was able to shut him out. He continued bleeding, and as he did, he shrunk in size until he was no more than the size of a cat. I cautioned Lindsay to stay put while I walked over to where Mahino lay. He began to ooze another substance now, a thick, white, ropey substance which enveloped and covered his whole body, his new cocoon. I suppose he will need another thousand years to recover. As Mahino lay inert in his new cocoon, he probed my mind weakly and I cautiously opened it just enough to get his last message. Be ever watchful for the men who serve me, for they will hunt you to the end of your days. Ah, uh, hey, brother, 
You are in no shape to give empty threats. I looked over at the ground behind him and saw one of the cultist clubs that was now discarded. I picked it up. Hey, insect god, eat koa wood, you sucker. I swung it with all my might to smash Mahino to stop him from ever coming back, but the cocoon disappeared into thin air and I struck the ground hard instead. A painful ringing sensation went up my arms. Gunfun it! Parry, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Just a few bites, rips, bruises, and possible concussion. But we prevented a crazy insect god from turning the world into bug food. You don't get to do that every day. I smiled weakly, but I was ready to pass out. Lindsay nodded and smiled back at me. She took my arm and guided me back through the tunnel. We made it back to the other side without incident and emerged from the cave to find that it was still daylight. My watch showed only an hour had passed since we first arrived this morning. Man, I really hated traveling through portals and dimensions. It really screwed up your sense of time and space. We hiked back up the cliff to our cars, said goodbye, and went our separate ways. I had a feeling we'd meet again someday, hopefully under less earth-shattering circumstances. To this day, I still kept an eye out for the bowtie man. And, every so often, I swore I saw him out on the street, out of the corner of my eye. But whenever I turned to look, he was gone. You have been listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast. <laughs>